Tuesday, April 17th. This is Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill, and joining me in studio today from Motley Fool Inside Value, Joe Mager, from Motley Fool Stock Advisor, Jason Moser, and from Million Dollar Portfolio, Ron Gross. Gentlemen, we've got the crew here today. Ooh, we got, yeah, big team. We've got the big three. Uh, we got a lot going on, so we need the big three. We've got uh, earnings from Johnson & Johnson and Coca-Cola. Sirius XM got a victory in court. We're going to start with Goldman Sachs. Uh, Goldman Sachs' first quarter profit fell less than Wall Street was expecting. Joe Maker, I'll start with you. Shares basically flat on the earnings news. What did you think of their quarter? I didn't think there were any real surprises here. I was happy with it. I'm a Goldman shareholder, recommended it at IV. Basically, what I was looking for was decent enough results. Because what you're looking at as an investor right now is a company that's selling, the stock's selling a discount to tangible book value, which is a screaming bargain price, especially for business that's actually making money. Uh, we're going to see a rebound in investment banking activity. They're going to be a big winner and take part in that. And I'm very happy to own the shares right now. I'd be buying more if I knew I wouldn't be talking about them today. Joe, when I look at companies like that, banks or investment banks, I'm always wondering what's not on the balance sheet and can I trust that tangible book value? You, you don't think, trust Goldman? I, <laughs> How <laughs> dare you? Do you think it's pretty clean and as far as what's on the balance sheet, what's not on the balance sheet? There are a lot of unknowns there and it'd be naive of me to say that I do know all the ins and outs of it. But I do know that at least on what's presented, <laughs> we're looking at a pretty sizable discount. And there is an element of uh, you know jumping in bed with sharks here or a pool with bed bugs or whatever mixed metaphor <laughs> you want. But in this case, I'm happy to take on the uncertainty because I do think the upside is so big. And in fairness, these guys do have a history of succeeding over time. They've been around since 1869, weathered a lot of environments. And for all their warts, I'm willing to hop on with that. Well, I mean, you mentioned Goldman Sachs history, but the recent history of Goldman Sachs seems to be a little bit more wart-filled, for lack of a better term. I mean, doesn't that give you pause that essentially, to Ron's point about what's not on the balance sheet, that whether it's Goldman Sachs or, or any big investment, investment bank, you're basically just saying, you know what? I trust you. I take your word for it. Eh. Either that or you're in a serious, serious state of denial. <laughs> yeah, well, we go through phases with Wall Street where you have more trust in them and less trust in them, and that typically correlates to profitability. Right now, they're deeply out of favor, but... You know, I said this a month ago when we were talking about that guy who wrote the blistering, you know, midlife crisis letter that he sent out. The Goldman executive who resigned via... Yeah, very loosely defined executive when he left. And I said at the time, we're going to forget about this guy in a month. We won't remember his name. And does anyone remember his name? Pretty sure it was Greg Smith. Yeah, I think it was all right. Smith. Whatever. You're the host of this show. You're supposed to remember the details. But the rest of us, we've all moved on. Um, you mentioned the value of Goldman stock. Is this is this undervalued? Is this dirty value to use? It's one very of your dirty. It's very dirty. I mean, historically, the stock sold at a little more than two times tangible book, and right now it's selling at a discount to tangible book. Uh, Ron, I'll turn to you since you're also a value guy. Mm. If if I'm looking for a dirty value stock, but I'm uh, but I'm a little. Are you in the market? <laughs> I'm always I'm always open to the possibility. But I but if I don't want to jump in bed with the sharks yeah. of Goldman Sachs, uh, to use Joe's metaphor, <laughs> okay. what's a dirty value stock? Uh, I a could company I've talked about, I think before in the radio show, is Skechers. S K X is the ticker symbol. Uh, lovely FTC fine is on the way, probably. Oh, wow. A big line of business has gone away in their toning shoes. And yet you're, um, you're saying I should look at this stock. The stock looks very cheap to me. Okay. You know, I saw one of their locations in a mall in Kuala Lumpur. Nice. I about tripped over myself when I saw it. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Jason, you got a dirty value stock for me? 
Yeah, one that I uh, recently wrote up uh, for my rising star portfolio, Halliburton, which you know they kind of got the double whammy here with the the Gulf oil spill, and I think a lot of people that can't quite get past that Cheney connection, you know, still plenty of Saturday Night Live skits done on that. Uh, but the stock, I think, is is I, I called it dirt cheap. I don't use that term very often, but yeah, it, it seems to me to be just really out of favor right now with a tremendous reach around the world. So, Dick Cheney, the comedy gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> uh, Johnson and Johnson's profits up twelve percent for the latest quarter. Ron, why is the stock? Why was it down slightly this morning? Things are not looking that good. Revenue was <laughs> anemic at best. Um, profits are actually barely up once you take into account some one-time charges in both years. Uh, you know, obviously, uh, people are focusing on the fact that gross margins were down. And then you've got the whole backdrop of almost 30 recalls since uh, maybe September of 2009. Is that a uh, Manufacturing problems, pending litigation. Uh, there's a lot of uh, negatives hanging over J&J. Um, speaking of pending litigation, uh, we were talking recently about Alex Gorsky. This is the uh, J&J executive who is uh, later this month set to become the new CEO. And it turns out the federal government has a potential multi-billion dollar health care fraud case uh, against Johnson & Johnson. And Uncle Sam has filed a motion claiming Gorsky, quote, was actively involved in matters at issue in this case. Let me give you just a little bit of background. The government is alleging that Johnson & Johnson paid kickbacks to induce Omnicare, which is the nation's largest nursing home pharmacy, to buy and recommend J&J drugs that had not been deemed safe and effective for elderly people. At the time, Gorsky was the VP of marketing, and the government says he was in a position to know all of this. Um, that seems... Hey. Is, that, is that bad? Uh, I, I, speaking as a Johnson & Johnson shareholder... A that's, proud Johnson & Johnson uh, I was I was prouder this morning when I woke <laughs> up than I am right now. This seems like such a massive question mark hanging over not only the company, but this guy who's about to become the CEO. Should the board of directors... First of all, we'll, we'll get in a moment to what they were doing at the time that they vetted him, but... Should they be rethinking whether or not this guy should be CEO? It appears to be the. I think yes, and I think not only be, if even if he's innocent, he, a lot of his time is going to be drawn uh, away from J and J, and he's going to be uh, busy defending uh, this litigation, and it's going to take his eye off the ball. And I could easily see them coming out and saying, as a result of of this, um, they're going to look elsewhere. There's just too much going on for this to work. Joe, what do you think? Kids, if you're out there looking for a place to get a job, I recommend Johnson & Johnson <laughs> because it is almost impossible to get fired from this place. I, I, I'm serious. This, I mean, this... No, I can't I, I mean, we, well, we've, we've talked in the past about the recalls, and we've even joked about the, the number of recalls they had. And for some reason, I don't know, maybe this is just the, the straw that broke this camel's back, but this, this really leaves a bad taste in my mouth. Well, it should. I mean, this shows it's just another example of deep-seated cultural problems that they have at the company. They don't apparently care nearly as much about quality as uh, we all would have liked to have hoped, and that is very quaint, friendly way of putting it. Uh, they've totally screwed up. Obviously, I think the appointment of Gorski was a huge mistake. I mean, this is a guy who was, you know, sidestepping these questions of whether he was involved in some shenanigans. He was involved with some of the other issues at the company. And, you know, it's it's facing some tough times. That said, the stock, I think, reflects those concerns. <laughs> um, Jason, we talked uh, recently about Sherilyn McCoy, who was a J&J executive. She was uh, reportedly um, one of two people, along with Gorsky, in line for the CEO job. She's now the CEO at Avon. 
I think they may be wishing they could call her back for a second interview. <laughs> Even with all the problems at Avon, you think she's feeling better about her position in life? I think she's probably thumbing her nose a little bit, Adam, right now. Joe, Joe mentioned a very important word there, quality. It's something I don't think in- investors tend to focus enough on. We try to focus a lot on quality of companies here, uh, day in and day out, focusing on the management, their record, what they've done, not only for shareholders, but for the company. And so this is a great example, I think, of probably lower quality management that might not ought to be there. Ron, uh, just to close out on the stock, um, because I am genuinely rethinking my position in Johnson & Johnson. If I sell it, I'm going to be looking for some other stock sort of in that category of big, relatively safe dividend payer. Mm. Give me a candidate. Well, if you want to stay in, in somewhat similar field, you could look at Merck, which is over maybe 4.5% dividend. Um, if you want to you know, get out of the healthcare field altogether, Procter & Gamble is always a nice, safe uh, dividend-paying company. I, I am a fan of Pringles, although that's, that's <laughs> soon to become the property <laughs> exactly. of Kellogg's. Uh, Jason, what do you think? I was, I was going to jump on the Procter & Gamble uh, bandwagon there. I think that's just one of those companies. Solid yield, fixed income is pretty much dead for the foreseeable future. It would be a good holding. Joe? Yeah, I love P&G. It's a recommendation. Again, and I own P&G. Uh, but I also still like J&J here. I think it's cheap. And I think for all the reasons that we're sitting here panning the stock today, let's just remember they still have tremendous cash flow generation. One of the, what I think, five companies that still have a AAA rated balance sheet. So this isn't a company that's falling off a cliff or anything like that. I do think they have some serious issues, but I also think it's a juggernaut that eventually they'll work their way out of this. Well, and to your point about if you you know for the kids who are listening, if you're looking for a job out there, hey, if you can get a job on the J and J board, that that's, that's probably a good gig. that's probably a sweet <laughs> gig too. Shares of Coca Cola hit a 14 year high today after strong first quarter result. Jason, the highlights. Chris, this stock is bulletproof. <laughs> <laughs> It is bulletproof, it seems like. I mean, this is just, they, they keep on doing it. You know, quarter in, quarter out, we always talk about just how phenomenal a distribution model they have, the brand power of Coke. Uh, you know, volume's up all around the world. Obviously, emerging markets still playing a big, a big role here. You know, Coke was able to pass along price increases to combat the, the cost of goods increase that they saw this quarter. You know, what surprised me in this release was that, uh, you know, CEO Kent said, we believe that North America is a growth market for our business. Really? And it, yeah. And they really are focusing. And, and, and the results speak for themselves because of the bottled water, vitamin water, energy drink markets. You know, people are steering away from the namesake Coke and carbonated beverages. But Coke has a backup for that, you know, through the bottled water and energy drink type of, of deal, Powerade, stuff like that. And so while you and I will continue to you know, add add our you know little contributions to the Diet Coke line there. Hand over uh, there's fist. There's plenty of opportunity out there still with these these new beverages, and I think that when you look at Coke and even Pepsi, and then compare them to smaller competitor Dr Pepper, you know Dr Pepper's also got Snapple under that umbrella. Yep. Yeah, I think it really shows the power of, of companies like Coke and Pepsi over over someone like Dr. Pepper because of that distribution. Ron, what is to the extent that uh, I assume every company has an Achilles heel? What is Coca Cola's Achilles heel right now? Complacency, <laughs> you know, but they're actually not complacent. They're actually undertaking a rationalization of the business right now that could take about six hundred million dollars of costs out of the business, which I really respect. The fact that they're not resting on their laurels. You know, there's health issues. People, you know, people get down on the the the, the carbonated beverage business uh, every now and again. Doesn't seem to be hurting sales. They're very dependent. I like the way that you're just. They're very dependent. You're just sort of waving that away. <laughs> just, oh, these health the concerns drive, bother you. Growth <laughs> drivers. In the, you know, emerging markets are the drivers here. So a China slowdown could impact um, 
growth. I mean, it's not going to kill the company. It just might hurt growth a little bit. Um, it's pretty pretty safe company to own. Joe, is the stock uh, I mentioned? It's at a fourteen year high. Is it is it fairly valued? Is it richly valued? Are there uh, wild expectations built into where the stock is right now? Do you think we've got a price at around fair value today. And I think it's a great long-term holding. You're not going to buy it and get any sort of crazy results out of it or even mildly crazy. But it's a great business. I, I don't own it, but I could see the case thrown in it for Sane results? Time. It sounds like that's what you're Very saying. Sane. Very sane. Very sane. When you're, again, with, I mean, no real fixed income options out there. You have Coke that's yielding about 2.8%. And I mean, it trades at a little bit of a premium to to Pepsi, but I think that's for good reason. I mean, the company's more profitable, have better margin lines and a better balance sheet, and I think just a, a more a brand that resonates more with with global consumers. So, and I would say, despite the fact that it is a great company, we did sell it relatively recently in MDP um, purely f- to free up capital to buy something that uh, was more undervalued than Coke is right now. Um, to just uh, generate some higher returns for the portfolio. So you agree with Joe in terms of where stocks, where the stock is valued right about now? I do. Well, I disagreed with that trade. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't ask you that. <laughs> Shares of SiriusXM up 3% this morning after the New York State Supreme Court dismissed Howard Stern's lawsuit against SiriusXM. Stern was suing for $300 million in stock awards he claimed he was owed. Uh, Ron, I think it's worth pointing out that the lawsuit was dismissed with prejudice. <laughs> You're a subscriber of SiriusXM. You're a fan of Howard Stern. Baba Booey, Chris. Have you mentioned before? <laughs> what, what's your take on this story? You know, uh, Howard talks about it on the show all the time, and it gets him really riled up, and, and he's, done, he's a great salesman. He clearly thought he was going to win. He didn't see any way that the language of the contract would come against him, and it, it came against him real <laughs> fast. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what his comments are. He thought he was entitled to the subscribers that came over as a result of the XM yep. uh, acquisition or merger, depending on how you look at it. Uh, the courts disagreed, said the contract d- didn't read that way. Um, I'm sure he's going to be disgruntled and angry as a result. And I don't know. You you probably want to keep your number one employee relatively happy. You probably do. Although when Howard Stern first joined Sirius, the service had around 600,000, 700,000 subscribers. You look at the merged company now, you look at Sirius XM now, that company's got north of 20 million subscribers. Does Howard Stern, is he less crucial to the success of that business than he was maybe five years ago? I'm in the camp that believes he is even more important than he was perhaps in the beginning. I think there's many, many people, um, probably myself included, that will probably cancel once he retires. Um, The music isn't that good. The offerings aren't that good. Uh, Terrestrial radio is pretty poor. But uh, Sirius is expensive. Careful, we have a radio show that airs on terrestrial radio. <laughs> Sorry let's, about let, that. Let's Many, not, yeah, yeah. Let's not badmouth it too much. It's a business radio is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, it's not cheap. I mean, these are expensive products, um, and the subscription um, costs are, are pretty high. And so, if I if I don't feel I'm really deriving a good enough benefit, then then I would cancel. What do you think, Jason? You know, I'm a I'm a big Howie fan. I mean, I I, I didn't I never even got the satellite radio when he moved over there, so it was a little bit of a you know I was kind of disappointed to get to listen to him anymore on the radio. But I do think that he was extremely important in the beginning to get them, to help them gain credibility. Uh, I think that satellite radio has gained enough credibility to where if he's, if he's gone, 
they can still function. I think there are still enough substitutes and enough options out there for their for their uh, you know subscribers. With that said, I still don't know that I really believe in the long term sustainability of satellite radio to begin with. I mean, I just I think there's just so many other options out there for entertainment. And let's face it, I mean, you got terrestrial radio with plenty of options still out there. Lots of great terrestrial radio shows. (laughs) Business radio. At least one, anyway. Um, When you look at the stock, I mean, to be fair, this is a stock that over the last year, over the last two years, it has crushed the market. Um, Crushed the market because it was crushed. Because it came (laughs) back from the dead. It came back from the dead. It was the walking wounded, and and it it, it lived to fight another day. And yet, Um, if if like our colleague Steve Broido, you you picked up shares, you know, not too long ago, you're you're pretty happy. This this is one that I can't. What do you think of the stock right now, though? Just can't value because I don't know. I have literally no idea whether subscribers the the rate subscribers grow or decline, Um, and so that's the whole model is derived based on that. and it's so expensive to put satellites in the air, and it's, it, there's so much debt on the books. This, I just would have no idea how to model this business, so I, I just have to stay away and, and punt. i got to say, Mel Carmerson, the CEO, gave an interview recently, and he made what I thought was a pretty compelling case for – he was being asked about Rush Limbaugh and the recent you know, trouble he got into with comments that he made on the air. And Carmerson basically said – made the case for w- working at SiriusXM, saying, hey, look, you come here, you can talk like an adult – and it just seems like, you know, for someone like, whether it's Rush Limbaugh or, or Howard Stern, there is a reduced hassle factor that they don't have to deal with if they're on terrestrial radio. Are you trying to tip your hand that we're moving to serious radio? <laughs> no, but I, but I am saying, I mean, for, for all of the, uh, you know, to the point that Jason made about, you know, the cost built, I, I get that the satellites are expensive, but it also seems like there are, um, there is an attractive side to this business um, that in some ways counteracts the cost of satellites. And I think that's just what – there are plenty of – there's plenty of talent on a local basis. I mean, in different markets, whether it's D.C., New York, L.A., I think there's plenty of local talent that, you know, if Howard's to leave Sirius XM, I mean, what's to say they can't bring in some of those shows that have been around for a while? I mean, there are plenty of them around D.C. even where if all of a sudden you dangled you know, his contract out in front of him and said, hey, you can come in here and say whatever you want instead of having to hit the dump button – I mean, I think that's going to be an attractive proposition for a lot of talent out there. So there's there's that option as well. Right. And, and then you have the Internet, of course, which is um, much cheaper. Um, no satellites involved. Um, it hasn't caught on yet, but we're in the infancy of it. Howard says sometimes, maybe I'll just scrap this all and just start my own Internet radio show. Um, that eventually, I would imagine, is, is coming. Um, and so that's, that would be a big threat to satellite as well. Internet, you say. <laughs> Joe, what do you think? I don't think it would work out as well for him as he dreams it would. He'd have creative control, but look what happened with Oprah. I mean, there's something to, you have a megastar and you have a mega platform, and when you put those two things together, that's how you get the most money out of it. And when they split up, both sides lose. Joe Mager, Jason Moser, Ron Gross, guys, thanks for being here. Cheers. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. Our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow. Tomorrow.